0: Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're so glad you're joining us today. So Easter has come, the tomb is empty, and now what? Often when we tell the story of Jesus living on earth, we stop at his resurrection. But there is so much more that happens to the followers of Jesus after he rises from the grave. Today we're starting a new series called Infinitely More. We're going to follow the story of Jesus and his disciples from after he has risen from the dead all the way through an event called Pentecost. We're going to discover that it's after the tomb that our lives are truly transformed. So let's kick off our new series. Here's Pastor Nicole.
1: I was on a Zoom call this week with two pastor friends of mine from across the state, and we were just talking about how challenging of a season this has been for so many people for, for a variety of reasons. We were talking about how challenging it's been as, as pastors um, just to... Um, think about all these creative ways to uh, reach our people and help them grow spiritually and really how fast it all came around the corner uh, like a baseball to the face. (laughs) It just came out of nowhere. And we were talking about how we wish we had a book or maybe an older, wiser pastor that we could call right now and just talk about what to do during a global pandemic such as this. And then one of my friends said something that I just can't shake. I just can't get it out of my mind. He said, I bet that this is exactly how the early church felt. That the church in Acts 2, who was the first church, they were creating something from nothing. They had no books to read. They had no models to implement. They uh, just was leaning into the Holy Spirit, trying to hear his direction, trying to hear his purpose, and to create something from the very words of Jesus and the very words of the Holy Spirit. And this got me so excited. I've been so excited about this because we can see in the scripture what happened when the church threw off all expectations. We can see what happened in the scripture when the church simply trusted the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 says, they saw many signs and many wonders and miracles. They eliminated poverty. They praised God. And daily, people came into relationship with Jesus. So, so yes, Lord, come Holy Spirit. If, if that's the result of rethinking church, and that's the result of a pandemic, then let's lean so hard into the Holy Spirit, then sign me up. That is where I want to be. And so for the next few weeks, I'm going to teach a series called Infinitely More. And this series is going to take us through the life of Jesus. It's going to take us through his teachings, his miracles, his declarations. And we're going to see God's ultimate plan for us to live spirit-filled lives and experience infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. And so the main theme verse that I want to challenge you to commit to memory during this series is this, and I want you to read it with me from wherever you are, wherever you're watching. It's Ephesians 3.20 from the New Living Translation. It says, Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And so this series is going to take us from Resurrection Sunday all the way to Pentecost Sunday. And my hope is that we will have the same encounter that the early church had on the day of Pentecost. So the first important thing that I want you to know and want you to remember in this series is this, that God always starts with the end in mind. God always starts with the end in mind. That God has been preparing all things to lead us just not, to lead us not just to the cross but through the cross into a personal encounter with the Holy Spirit. So imagine this from the very beginning of creation God's nature is really clear. He starts with the end in mind. He always has a plan. He sees so much further down the road than we ever can. And he always sees infinitely more than we might think or ask or imagine. Since the beginning of time, God has just been, been getting started on his well-thought-out plan of creation. Uh, redemption, spirit empowerment for all who believe. And it's the reason that God was able to confidently prop his feet up and rest on day seven of creation because he knows the, the beginning from the end. He knows how the whole thing plays out. And a big part of God's plan is to be with us. A big part of God's plan is to be with us. That's the end that God had in mind, to be with us forever. And that's the point of his entire plan. That, that's the end game. That's the arrived moment, is that we would be with Jesus forever. And he was always creating a way and making a way for that to happen. In the book of Genesis, we find God living out this plan with Adam and Eve. Uh, he would walk with them. He would talk with them in the cool of the garden. He would, he would spend time with them. And it seemed like the perfect plan. It was total access to God. It was this perfect idea that, that we can have full access to our father. And it was the perfect setup for the first humans. Uh, but because of one single selfish act, sin was birthed into the world. And this perfect plan was no more. And I'm thankful that we serve a God who had a plan to deal with the broken plan. I'm thankful that we serve a God who saw down the road far enough that he knew that he would have to make a plan for the plan. And the truth is that God had a plan to deal with sin even before it happened. His plan was to send his one and only son to die on a cross for us. And so the second most important thing I want you to learn today is this, that God's plan leads us to the cross. That God's plan leads us to the cross. Now God had a plan. He had a plan to crush the power and the penalty of sin from the very beginning. And it's important to remember that Jesus was at the foundation of the world and he was more than prepared to come as our savior. The cross wasn't a knee-jerk reaction to sin. It was a rescue that had been planned From the beginning, the Old Testament continually shows us pictures of God's great plan to redeem mankind through Christ's sacrifice. Uh, We call these typologies, and I want to just show you some examples. And forgive me, but they get me really excited when I look into the Old Testament and see God's plan that leads us to the cross. So you're probably familiar with the scripture surrounding Noah's Ark in Genesis 7. And one of the reasons that this account is shared in the scripture is because it gives us a glimpse of what Christ will do. So Noah invited his family and two of every creature on the ark, while the rest of the world drowned in a flood because of its wickedness. That's kind of the, the premise of the story. And Noah's invitation to his family, Noah's invitation to creation, which they all accepted by getting onto the boat, and they trusted Noah's seemingly wild idea because it wasn't even raining. And so they got on the boat, they, by Noah's invitation, they trusted him, and that is the reason they were saved or rescued from the flood that, that then came later. So when the waters died down and the, and the earth came, came up from the waters again, Noah leads the survivors onto the dry land and he brings peace and rest to those people who were saved from the wicked world in which they were previously living. And this is a type. This is an example. It's a small look at what our Savior, Jesus Christ, will do. Jesus invites us to trust him. Even when we can't see the flood, even when we can't see everything around us, he invites us to trust him. And when he rescues us and he helps us escape certain death and spiritual destruction. Do you see how those two, those two things are linked? Those two examples, Noah's ark is actually a foreshadowing of what Jesus will eventually come and do for us thousands of years later. All right, let me tell you another one. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Abraham in Genesis 22 He was a foreigner to a new land. He left everything he knew because God asked him to. Now, this is, again, it's a hint, though, through Abraham's life of what Jesus would eventually do. Jesus left heaven, came to a place that wasn't his home because God sent him to us. He left everything he knew, just like Abraham, and he came to a place that he didn't, it was foreign to him because God sent him. And then Abraham was tested and he was told to sacrifice his son, Isaac, Now, does that sound familiar? In this account in Genesis, Isaac carried his own wood to the place where he would offer to lay down his own life and be sacrificed by the hand of his father, Abraham. Now again, we see this foreshadowing. It's a hint that later Jesus would do the same thing, that he would carry his own wood, his own cross to a place where he then would eventually lay down his very life for us. And so, these Old Testament scriptures are revealing bit by bit the message of the cross. It's like, it's like the most masterful film you've ever seen, where it all ties back together in the end, and the whole story makes perfect sense when you're looking back at it. And you're just sitting there going, wow, wow, I didn't see that at first. But now when I see the whole story, looking back, I see how it's all tied together. Now, there are so many more types of Christ. The Old Testament is so full of moments that are pointing all of humanity to the cross. I'll just give you a few more. The story of Joseph is pointing to Jesus in that Joseph suffered. He was hated by his own brothers, but when Joseph was given a position of authority, he when he could have retaliated, he could have, he could have acted the same way his brothers acted to him. He instead was generous and gracious to those that hurt him, to those that took advantage of him. And in his generosity and in his graciousness, he, he extended provision and he extended forgiveness and doesn't that sound just like Jesus Jesus the the greater Joseph they say they call it who serves at the right hand of God the king he extends forgiveness and provision to those of us who have betrayed him and he uses his power to save us in loving reconciliation even though he could retaliate but he doesn't he offers us this just insane amount of grace to us just like Joseph did to his brothers In Exodus 12, we see the account of the Passover and the people smeared lamb's blood on the doorposts of their homes to be protected from the angel of death. And this is pointing to the cross where Jesus, the perfect lamb, whose blood would be shed for each of us, would protect us from spiritual death forever. David showed us what Jesus would be like when he slayed the giants. You might remember that story of David and the giants because Jesus, the greater David, defeated Satan, sin, and death and all the giants that we face as we go through this life. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a fish Three days in the same amount of time Jesus spent in the grave, and then Jonah was able to bring the redeeming message to the city of Nineveh. But Jesus is so much greater, and He brings salvation to all mankind, past, present, and future. So, as you read the Old Testament, I want to challenge you to read it through the lens of the cross, uh, to think about how each character, each account, Each thing that you read in the scripture could be pointing to the cross of Jesus because the entire revelation of who God is is pointing us to this moment, to this moment in history where Jesus dies on the cross for us. Every activity, every expression in the Old Testament was preparation. It was preparation. Remember, God had the end in mind. He he is not scrambling to put together a plan. He, he he, He is not worried about putting the pieces together and hoping it works out. God is preparing all of humanity to be led to the cross where Jesus would ultimately fulfill his purpose for you and for me. Now, John the Baptist in the New Testament, he had the honor of introducing Jesus and God's plan into the New Testament. And I want to look at this together today. In John 1, uh, verses 29 through 31, let me just read verse 29 to start. It says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, when you think about this, this probably wasn't a very popular thing to yell out to a crowd of Jewish people. okay? Because they, uh, probably just the night before, or maybe earlier that day, they were literally sacrificing lambs for their own sin. And so, to point to a human being and say, that is a lamb to be sacrificed, that is the sacrificial lamb, uh, that would have been very confusing, a bit shocking, perhaps even gruesome and rude. Uh, that, that, that John the Baptist was saying, look, there's Jesus, that's the lamb of God, uh, just like we sacrifice. But John was blurting out what the Spirit of God was telling him. John was blurting out, he couldn't keep it in. He was saying, Jesus, this is the lamb. Not just a lamb to be sacrificed, but this is the one who will be our substitute. Jesus is God's gift to us. Jesus' sacrifice will put an end to all Jewish sacrifices because he will be the ultimate one. And Jesus is about to change life as the Jewish people knew it. And isn't that what he's still doing today? When we encounter Jesus as our Savior... It changes our life as we know it. It changes how we think, how we act, how we feel, how we plan. It changes our preparation for our days. I love John's first word here in verse 29. He says, look, or some translations say, behold. It's a command to look at Jesus. Now, John doesn't say, uh, look at your good works, they'll save you. Uh, Look at your religious rituals. They will put you in good with God. Or or look at your religious heritage or, or look at your church attendance. He doesn't say any of that. He says, look to the Lamb of God that Jesus saves sinners who look in faith to him. He has provided the perfect sinless lamb to take away our sin. And John the Baptist is foreshadowing this moment and saying, look, look to Jesus, all of humanity, past, present, and future, look to Jesus because he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So verse 30 in that passage says, uh, John is still talking. He says, he is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So what John is doing here is he's piecing together just another part of the plan. He's running a thread uh, from one part of the story to the next. And he's saying, look, I was here to baptize people in water, but Jesus is coming, has now come, and he's going to do something even greater than what I've been able to do. And God's plan that leads us to the cross is where our relationship can be restored to him. That is the point. The cross is the point where all of humanity, if we can we can end at the foot of the cross, our relationship can be restored with him. Romans 5, 8 through 11 is this incredible passage of scripture uh, that ties this all together. I want to read it this morning. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. So powerful. So amazing. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for him. But as this series title reminds us, we named this series Infinitely More. There is more. There is infinitely more. That God's faithful and amazing plan to lead us to the foot of the cross was just the beginning. Uh, he doesn't lead us to the foot of the cross and leave us there. God's plan leads us through the cross. God's plan leads us through the cross. So I want to continue with John the Baptist. He continues on in John 1, uh, verses 33 and 34. And he says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. So what John is saying here is is he had the ability and the authority to baptize people in water as a symbol of their decision to follow God. But Jesus, he can baptize us in the Holy Spirit. What man can do only in the natural, Jesus can do in the supernatural. And so Jesus promises the disciples, it was to their advantage that he would go away uh, from the earth because the Holy Spirit would be sent to be with them. And that promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and, and gave them the power to bear witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism, both in water and in the Holy Spirit, is this promise that as believers in Jesus, we can have abundant supply of the Holy Spirit to meet our every need. And again, we see the end in mind. We see the way that God was preparing the way for Jesus and all the believers as history unfolded. Because even before Jesus began his three and a half year ministry journey, he his plan was to send you and me, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he already had that in place. We might ask, well, well, Jesus, what will we do without you when you leave here? What's the plan? And, and, And God, knowing the end in mind, already knew that this is what would happen, that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, to be our advocate, to live with us, to help us live differently, and to help us not just get us to the cross, but to get us through the cross, to get us beyond the cross. His journey to the cross and through the cross was far more than just getting us to heaven. His plan is to empower us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ever think or ask or imagine. And so later, we see John the Baptist, and and he uh, had all this incredible interaction with Jesus. He was the one who could testify. He is the chosen one of God. He says that in verse 34. Uh, But John the Baptist, later in his life, was imprisoned. And the scripture tells us that he began to doubt Jesus he began to doubt whether Jesus was the Messiah Jesus didn't seem to be the kind of Messiah that John had envisioned uh, he probably thought um, if he is the Messiah then why doesn't he get me out of prison <laughs> why, why doesn't he judge the wicked Herod for his sin why am I the one behind bars and and he's the one that's that has the freedom and I think this is so incredible because Jesus hears that John is is doubting and and Jesus says, okay, go tell John this. Send John a personal message. He answered the doubts by referring to the power that he displayed as the Son of God. We see in Matthew eleven four 4 through 6, Jesus is speaking. He says, go, report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And Jesus was reminding John the Baptist of what he first realized about Jesus that our Savior's power extends beyond the physical realm. Yes, yes, in the natural, bodies were walking and hearing and living and, and things were happening. That was all happening in the natural for people to see. But the end that God had in mind was spiritual. It was that the forgiveness of sin would be for all people, and that forgiveness would allow us to have real relationship with Christ and to be with him forever. You see, God's plan leads us through the cross. And if you are experiencing doubts or fears about your faith, maybe you're embarrassed to even admit it. Maybe in the middle of this uh, crisis time in our nation, uh, you are you are even silently struggling or dealing with, whether you really heard from God or whether your faith is really real. And I want to encourage you to go back to those first moments that you experienced Jesus, to remember his work in your life. Remember his work all around you. To ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind uh, the struggles he helped you overcome, the mountains he helped you climb. Uh, Ask him to remind you the power that he displayed in your life and the testimony of his goodness that surrounds us. God didn't offer salvation and stop there. He said, let me empower you for an abundant, fruit-filled, joyful, and meaningful life. John 10.10 reminds us this. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And that word life, what does that mean in that verse? It's not uh, like the substance of life. It doesn't mean bios, which is skin and breath. It's the word zoe, which is referring to the quality of life. A life full of spiritual joy, a life full of fullness of, of purpose, a life full of fullness. I don't know, write that one down. A life full of purpose, a life full of passion. It, it's this idea that, that I have come that you may have Zoe kind of life, that, that you may have not just physical, that you breathe every day and your heart beats, but that you would have this spiritual life and you would have it forever. I think it's fascinating how this verse is comparative, that the only way to describe one way of life is to contrast it to the other. The thief, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. but, But Jesus, he comes that you may have life and have it abundantly. And there are only two ways to live your life. You can pursue this world for satisfaction or you can seek after God to satisfy You can pursue this world for satisfaction or you can seek after God to satisfy. And one will lead you down a path of of destruction and a path that that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the other will lead you down this path of abundant, great, incredible, joyful life. In fact, any way of living that is not through the cross will rob, kill, and destroy your soul. I was reading this week about the Eskimos, probably because it's snowing, April 16th, or uh, whatever the date is. But the Eskimos have an interesting way of killing wolves. They take a sharp knife, and they dip it in seal fat. And they put it blade up in the snow. And the wolf smells it, and they come, and they begin to, to lick the knife, because they, uh, they are attracted to the seal fat. And as soon as they lick it, they taste blood. It's their own blood, but they love the taste of blood. So the wolf licks it more and more. And eventually the wolf dies because of its own actions. And what the wolf thought at first was really living was actually the thing that killed him. Living a selfish life that is focused on acquiring more stuff or acquiring more attention or more fame or success, engaging in what feels good but is sinful, is like this analogy. At first it tastes really, really good, but ultimately it's really, really destroying you. And only Jesus can ultimately satisfy the soul. Only Jesus can reconcile you to God and give you a real abundant life that begins now and continues through all of eternity. God has the end in mind. God's plan leads us to the cross, but it doesn't just stop there. God's plan leads us through the cross. And with the Holy Spirit to help us, we can be empowered to live this incredibly purposeful, abundant life. There was a a TV game show um, years ago, and I think recently they did a remake, called Let's Make a Deal. And the contestants, they had to choose between a prize that was visible to them. Usually it was like a a nice item, like a trip or a TV. And they had to choose between that prize and a prize that was concealed by curtains or a door. And sometimes the unseen prize turned out to be a joke, like 10,000 boxes of toothpicks or something ridiculous like that. But at other times, uh, the person that chose the visible gift and discovered to their horror, they maybe had passed up behind the curtain a new car worth thousands of dollars. And so they took the TV, which was all fine and good, but they could have had this all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii or this Lamborghini. And whenever that happened, at least for me, I would watch it, and I would get this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach because it just comes with knowing that someone just made this terribly wrong choice. And I think in the same way, spiritually, the visible prize is all the stuff you see in the world. It's everything in the natural. But when God leads you to the cross, and God leads you through the cross, you gain things that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Everything that's behind the curtain in this spiritual game that we play is so much bigger. In fact, the scripture says, things which have not entered into the heart of man because they're so good and they're so vast and they're so beautiful. That's what is behind the curtain. That's what is behind this decision. That when we choose an abundant, fruitful life following Jesus, the end will never be the booby prize behind the curtain. We will experience all that God has prepared for us, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So I want to pray today. I wanna pray together. So wherever you are, if you just bow your head. Jesus, I am so thankful for your plan. I'm so thankful that uh, you had a plan that had a plan that had a plan that had a plan, that you were never puzzled, that you were never scratching your head wondering what to do, God, that before the beginning of time, before there was even sin, you had a plan to deal with the sin. And we are so thankful that you make a way And that your way always points us to the cross. That your way doesn't leave us there. That your way points us through the cross. And that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live and dwell with us and be part of our decisions and our thinking and our feeling and our community and our households. And God, that if we open the door to you, that you will come rushing in. We love you. And we thank you so much that you have infinitely more than we can ask, think, or imagine for us. And God, it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Today, I just want you to take a few minutes and talk with the people that you watch this message with today. Or maybe you want to text a friend or or message someone. Uh, But I'm going to give you two challenge steps. Now, don't skip this part. It's homework, and there will be a test. So uh, I want you to grow deeper in this season. God doesn't waste any moments. So make sure that in this time that maybe you're... uh, have a little different rhythm or a different pace of your life that you do not miss out on what God wants to grow in you. Um, So I'm going to put these two questions on the screen I want you to think about and talk about. Number one, choose an Old Testament scripture and read it out loud together. Discuss ways that it points to the cross. If you need some examples, check out Joseph, Jonah, Abraham, Moses, Passover, Adam, or David. Number two, share with someone in what ways has your life been more full and abundant, like John ten ten talks about, as you have trusted Jesus? Have an awesome week. I love you and I miss you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us.